in spite of little spikes, uh, 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 I feel that every week we get closer to the end. And I, I feel that's still happening. And I think that 50% becomes 60%. I think we start throwing tables in in the fall and such. I also, I'm going to put a prediction out there. I believe, and I've done a lot of homework, I believe that we will have a vaccine. You ready, Corey? I'm ready. Yeah, let's hear it. Mid-October. I don't want to share someone else's thoughts. I want to create my own original thoughts. I want to create my own original solutions. I want to look at situations and come up with my own phrasing, my own words, and do it my way. This is the John Taffer Podcast. Shut it down. You know, Corey, I've always been really proud of some of the work that we've done here and all of the news station appearances that we've made because I predicted all of this, and I'm going to put a feather in my freaking hat. I deserve this. Four months ago, I said that we were going to be at 50% capacity as the restaurant industry. I was the first person to say that. I was all over Fox News and CNBC when I did. That was four months ago. I also said that a third of the population would be the first ones to come out. It would be the younger demographics that would skew up. Everybody didn't agree with that. The numbers came out last week. I'm sorry, folks. It wasn't a third. It was 31%. I missed it by two points. The other things that we said about the industry with regard to, I remember going on Laura Ingram's show on Fox, and I said to her that in the future, kitchens are going to be wearing some protective gear. They're going to be wearing masks. They're going to be wearing gloves, blah, blah, blah. And I remember she looked at me and said, no, that'll never happen. The industry will never do that. Well, we were right about that too. So I'm really proud of the work that we've done here uh, on this podcast, staying ahead of the curve and really making predictions for our industry is where we're going. But the pace of this thing, I'm going to say it, and I got to say it this way, it's unfucking believable Corey. Think about this. On December 31st, Chinese health officials informed the WHO, World Health Organization, about a cluster of 41 patients. January 1st, the Hunan Seafood Wholesale Market closes. January 7th, six days later, Chinese authorities identify the virus as coronavirus. Four days later, January 11th, China records its first death. January 13th, two days later, Thailand reports its first infection outside of China. January 20th, one week later, first U.S. cases reported a 35-year-old man in the state of Washington. Three days later, January 23rd, Chinese authorities placed the city of Wuhan under quarantine and arrested Hubei province days later. A week later, January 30th, who declares a global public health emergency? The next day, less than 24 hours, President Trump bans foreign nationals from entering the U.S. if they had been in China within the prior two weeks. Three days later, February 2nd, first coronavirus death outside of China is reported in the Philippines. Guys, this isn't months, this isn't weeks, this is days. Think of how fast this has been moving. Then we take a look at February 6th, person in California dies, first known American death. The next day, Chinese doctor dies, Wenilang. February 9th, death toll in China surpasses that of SARS. February 11th, who announces the disease? February 12th, South Korea kicks in. February 19th, Iran kicks in. February 21st, cases start to spike in Italy. This is days, guys. It's February 21st. This started less than a month ago, really, when it really started to kick in. March 3rd, corona cases begin to sharply increase in Spain. March 8th, again, days later. Italy places all 60 million of its residents on lockdown. Three days later, March 11th, who declares an outbreak pandemic? March 11th, same day, President Trump bans all travel from 26 European countries. Same day. 
March 13th, two days later, Trump declares a national emergency. March 19th, China reports no new locally spread infections for the first time since the pandemic began. Well, I don't buy that. I think that's a bunch of bullshit, but that's what they said at the time. Now we kick in. On March 12th, our podcast was coronavirus and the effects on our economy. We had Kevin Undergaro on that one. March 19th, the next week, we did not just flu, everything you need to know about coronavirus. We were really ahead of the curve here. March 26th, what do we do when the pandemic is over? That's when I went to work all that month and I created the whole premise of resetting America. Restaurants at 50%, social distancing, put together all of those things, way ahead of anybody else, I might add. Then we had Guy Fieri on, on April 2nd, on April 9th. We had mental health worrying about the pandemic and we had Dr. Phil on. Then on April 16th, we were worried about Broadway and what's going on in New York. So we had a great Broadway actress, Kristen Chenoweth, on. April 23rd, we talked about revolutionizing the service industry during the pandemic and had Tiffany Derry on. March, May 7th, we had Dan Rowe on talking about the franchise industry and what's going to happen in it. Then on May 14th, we had actually one of our highest rated shows with one of my dear friends. I love this guy, Jake Steinfeld and, of course, Body by Jake. And Jake was on May 14th talking about staying fit and success during this time period. Then May 20th, why the restaurant and bar industry is more equipped for the pandemic. We tried to build confidence in the industry that week. Then June 4th, we had Mark Cuban on talking about challenging and stepping ahead and fighting for it and basketball and adaptation is the key. Then on June 11th, the time to reset America is now because we started opening everywhere. And all of this has happened, think about this, in really just weeks. Yeah. How quickly this has been going. So, Corey, we've had a lot of comments and a lot of statements on this show. And, and I, you know, I'm very proud of the fact, and let's face it, it took me a lot of years in the industry to be able to do this. But virtually every forecast we made has, in fact, come true. It has, yeah. With regard to seating capacity, menu changes, beverage service. We predicted outside dining. We predicted that cities would have to change outside dining rules, Corey. Remember we talked about mm-hmm. that? And allow for more outdoor seating uh, in front of restaurants. We talked about cities creating more mall streets. All of these things have, in fact, happened. And, and you know, we understand this industry. We understand our economy. I'm lucky I get to travel all around the country, so I have a pretty good understanding of America. I understood when we were going back then, And I understood where we're going now. We're going to get out of this. And that I know. And in spite of little spikes, uh, 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 I feel that every week we get closer to the end. And I I feel that's still happening. And I think that 50% becomes 60%. I think we start throwing tables in in the fall and such. I also, I'm going to put a prediction out there. I believe, and I've done a lot of homework, I believe that we will have a vaccine. You ready, Corey? I'm ready. Yeah, let's hear it. Mid-October. Really? That's my forecast. All right. And well, you've is, been right so far. And this is a lot of reading. And I know that I won't mention it now. I know the names of the three companies. I know where they're at in the trials process. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know I'm on a, on a board of a hospital. So right. I get, I get a, a lot of good medical information. So I believe that we will have a vaccine by mid-October. Now, it might take a few weeks to get millions of them produced and get them circulated and such. But I believe that. So think about that. If I'm right, then we got about three months more of this. And then we start to get into a vaccine mode. By then, a huge percentage of the population would have had it with antibodies. Vaccines will start rolling in. So I'm bullish, guys. I'm bullish. I think we're going to pull out of this in the fall. And I'd love to hear what you think. So 
If you want to call and talk to me, just dial 916-842-5180. I love to hear from you guys. Either my producer, Corey, will answer the line or leave a voicemail. And as you've learned from this show, we call you back. So that number again is 916-842-5180. You can also send me an email and uh, we'll arrange it to have you talk on a podcast or we'll respond to you. But we always answer. And you can send an email to podcast at johntafford.com. That's podcast at johntafford.com. So, Corey, we've said a lot of things on the show. You actually pulled up some clips. What were your plans here? I did. Okay, so my idea was, you know, over time, you you kind of forget about all the things that we've really done on this show So and on your Fox News shows and all that kind of stuff. So I took eight clips that I thought maybe were the, the best, you know, sound bites from what you've been saying on Fox News, MSNBC, the podcast, and I put them all in order. And if you actually play them all in order, it, it literally – just explains and breaks down resetting America to the T. Um, so I just want to play them individually and just kind of get your reaction, maybe break them down a little bit. So here we go. Here's the okay, so one. you're going to do them one at a time. Exactly. You want me to speak uh, in between each one. Exactly. Yep. All right, you got it, buddy. All right, here's the first one. We as an industry right now, we're spending so much money sustaining ourselves when, during a time when we can't make money. I'm worried that when it does start to open up, we're not going to have the resources to open properly. You know, I said that uh, months ago. Uh, yeah. I believe I said that on MSNBC, if I'm not mistaken. You know, I feel that way now, and we're seeing the pressure. Mm -hmm. So what's happening now, as PPP is ending, right, and that dollars have been spent, and restaurants now are not having the payroll uh, uh, subsidies that they had before, we're starting to find restaurants are not making money, bars are not making money, and they're starting to run out of resources. And I'm worried that they run out of resources before the pandemic ends. And if that happens, Corey, then they never reopen properly. Right. And think about the costs of, of opening and, and stocking your refrigerators and, and your beer and, and all your products and such. So I still worry about that. The longer the pandemic lasts, the longer we're in sustaining mode. The longer we're in sustaining mode, the less resources we have to make it for the long haul and to reopen properly. All right, next the biggest worry that I have is the premise of spacing continuing into retail environments. Oh, I was right, wasn't I, Corey? You were, yeah. And I said back then that that I was worried about movie theaters and any location-based entertainment venues. And I believe I was also one of the first ones to say that I thought it would affect all retail stores with spacing. Yep. I envisioned lines on the, on, on the floors. And, and uh, so I believe that's true. And the one thing that we have learned over these months is the virus doesn't transfer as quickly on surfaces as we thought it does. It's all about human-to-human -human transfer. If we do keep a distance, then we have a much less chance of getting sick. End of story. <laughs> so it, to me, it seems so logical that it would carry through into retail in virtually every sector, and it did. A great brand uh, uh, doesn't mean it's a great brand today unless it employs practices of sanitation and safety. Boy, uh, <laughs> that was also something I said back then. I said, you know, what... what what we do is going to be every bit as important as how we do it and how we do it is critical today. So we talked about trust back then and the fact that, that our industry needs to build trust or it's not going to be successful. And we were right about that. I think a third of the marketplace is going to come back out. I think a third of the marketplace, the next third, I call the reserved third. They're going to watch what happens with the first third. They want to start to trust restaurants, see there's no surges, then they'll come out. But the third third is the certain third. They're not going to come out until there's a vaccine. 
Boy, I said that how long ago? <laughs> That's why I wanted to do this, John, because if you break it down to what you've been saying over the last few months, it is, it's, it's incredible. Like, well, I, I, <laughs> I said that was going to happen, and in fact, it did. So, right. so, so the statistics came out from some data company I, I saw, because it was on all the news channels, so I know it was incredible when it wasn't one side or the other, and the number was 31%. Yeah. And I projected 33, so, so I, I must have gotten lucky, huh, Corey? Yeah. In weeks in the future, we're going to be challenged with going back to business and recreating the revenues that we've lost during this pandemic. Yep, and unfortunately, it, it, it's, uh, of course, that's a fact, but uh, it's not happening at the pace we wanted to. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting, Corey, some restaurants, because I hear from so many every month, they're doing really well. They have lines outside. I mean, some are not. And we said this months ago, too, great marketers are going to come to the top. Great communicators, great operators are going to come to the top. The ones that are doing well are the ones that are working for it, the ones that have built the trust. The ones that aren't doing well are the ones that aren't. And they're not going to recover those revenues. You know, those of us who believe in the future, a motivator to fight through this, are the ones that are going to survive the most. <laughs> Boy, I guess I'm consistent in my messaging. I think you I? are. You know, this is a time, think about it. Great marketers are going to come up with incredible ideas these <laughs> next few months, right? Great operators are, great merchandisers are, great promoters are. So be one of them. And that's what I was saying. You know, I'm trying to put a positive spin on this. The fact of the matter is there are people that are going to make money during this. I mean, pretty good time to be in a mask business, don't you think, Corey? Oh, yeah. As a silly example, pretty good time to be in a conference call business. You know, there's a lot of businesses that are going to benefit from this. So I'm not saying you have to go into that business, but a lot of businesses can benefit this if the marketers really market and the promoters really promote. So there's opportunity here, and that was my point. All right, last clip. The greatest marketers in the world are going to figure this out. <laughs> the greatest operators in the world are going to figure this out. Who is that guy? <laughs> Your message is clear. You know, so, so, so consistency is important. You know, people like me that really know our industry knew where this was going to go four months ago. I know where this is going to go the next four months from now. So we just got to hang in there. We got to get better at what we do. We got to hone our marketing, hone our social media skills, hone our promotional abilities. If we do this now, think about this, Corey. If I can really market, promote, get my restaurant busier more hours a day because I have less seats, right? So I make it up by more hours of business. Right. If I can do that, keep my costs in line, manage my payroll, manage my food costs, market, promote, and actually make money during this time period, can you imagine a fucking gold mine I'm going to have come October? Yeah, that's a good point. So, so those who survive now are the ones who are going to take it home when we come out of this. Think of this as spring training. Think of this as boot camp. Think of this as bar rescue. This is your freaking stress test, man. Yeah. <laughs> and if we can come out of that stress test on the other side, we'll all be better for it. I'll be right back. Don't shut down this podcast. John Taffer will be right back. Wow, it's interesting. I never thought of this show as a futurist show, Corey. I know, right? But actually, we've been making predictions here just in our day-to-day -day lives, and uh, we've yeah. been hitting it home. And, you know, I think our predictions now are going to hit it home, too. And I believe that we will have some rough weeks ahead, but we are going to come out of this by fall, and I believe that very, very strongly. So I want to hear what you guys think. 
And as I mentioned earlier, if you want to be on this podcast, it's easy. Just call 916-842-5180. Either Corey will answer the call or leave a voicemail, and we call you back, and we'll arrange to get you on the podcast. Or you can send an email to podcast at johntaffer.com, podcast at johntaffer.com. So I asked Corey to put together a few callers. We always like to mix them up a little bit from around the country. Our first caller is from Seattle, which is a hot spot right now. Robert. Audience calls. Robert, how you doing, man? Good, good. How you doing, John? I'm doing good. So, so uh, uh, you want to talk about reservations and restaurants a little bit and distance. So, what are you thinking, buddy? Talk to me. Sure. So, just something I've kind of uh, noticed in my area, right? When they reopened, there's a lot of uh, first come, first serve seating, right? Uh, and that's ranging from restaurants to uh, breweries. Uh, and what I'm wondering is like why why the industry isn't moving more towards reservation seating? Because um, one of the big things that I notice is, you know, upon waiting to get in the restaurant, there's always like long queues, you know, and it kind of, it doesn't necessarily reflect that great in terms of social distancing, right? Now they could be doing everything right on the inside, but the outside is obviously out of their control. But why not try to put some control on it with some reservations? You know, I, I agree. And I think that that is the smart move. And also in a reservation, you can even, because today, of course, as you know, with our lower capacity, Robert, it's tougher to make money. So, you know, we could turn around and even say reservations are for an hour or reservations are for 45 minutes. So I can sort of make an agreement with you when we make a reservation that you're only going to use the table for so long, right? So you can really... Uh, 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 change the relationship with the customer in that way. Uh, there are many restaurants that are doing it. Some are actually charging you when you make a reservation because uh, they don't want no-shows. So you pay $5 or $10 when you make the reservation, and then they apply that to the meal. But I think a lot of restaurants were just concerned about whether anyone would come at all, honestly. And I think that they were resistant to reservations in the beginning. I think you're going to find a lot more are going to start skewing in that direction. And I agree with you, by the way. I think those crowds in front of restaurants or groups of people in front of restaurants that aren't wearing masks and are standing next to each other, to me, I wouldn't go in that restaurant, right, with those people standing in front. To me, I think it's unsafe. Exactly. So we've got to get the outside uh, uh, in control. So either there needs to be some type of a turnstile set up, some type of stanchions out there, uh, 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 something to make it look organized and in control, because I'm guessing you're agreeing with me. If there's a crowd out there and they're not being safe, you're not even going to go through the front door, right? Yeah, exactly. Like what, um, you know, I'll share a story of something that happened out here that's very unfortunate. Um, uh, my wife and I would like to frequent breweries. Now that said, we haven't, um, we haven't gone to any, obviously since things have been reopened, but one of our favorites, uh, they reopened and, uh, you know, they get everything right on the inside, but on the outside, like I said, there's a big long queue, lack of social distancing, et cetera. Right. Well, um, they obviously got a little bit of negative back, uh, backlash on that. And then you fast forward, um, you know, a few days and they're saying like, Hey, like we're all learning. We're trying to, um, you know, we're figuring this out together. Uh, then you fast forward a few more days and one of their employees tested positive for COVID. And now the whole thing is just gone. Like, they're just completely shut down, which obviously that's like the worst case scenario. Um, and you know, it's like if there were some sort of reservation system put in place, like even, you know, uh, we were kind of kicking the idea around. It's like, you know, if you paid, $10 for a half hour reservation up to two hours, right? That $10 could include a beer, right? So even though, you know, beer in the restaurant may only cost 
uh, or the brewery, excuse me, may only cost like six, seven dollars normally, you know, charge that convenience fee, charge that COVID fee, right? Keep that fine. I'm like happy to pay that as long as I can be there, right? So, you know, if you're there for two hours, 40 bucks per person, that's four beers, half hour segments, right? I think that's kind of a good deal. And I think it's kind of a win-win for everybody. And it just kind of keeps everything moving in the right direction. I, th- I think that you're, uh, you're completely right. And I think that the way that restaurants need to do this, and I think we talked about this a couple weeks ago, was that they need to put a, almost a promotional flyer or something on the table when you come in now that say, next time, please call, make a reservation, and here's the package that we offer. So they need to start training their customers now, Robert, right, to, to do this and start moving all of the ones that are now on a, a walk-in basis to reservations. And then in two or three weeks, they could shut down the walk-ins because the reservations will take over. And they could do that without losing one customer if they ease into it properly. Let me ask you a question if I can. I want to change topics on you. You're in Seattle. Sure. And, and obviously, yep. we're, we're all, all around America. We're all sitting and watching Seattle right now. And, and you know, we don't live there. I know I don't. <laughs> I'm here in Las Vegas. How, are, how is the uh, mentality? Are, are people upset up there? Are they just waiting for it to all end? Is there, could you just give us a general explanation of how people are feeling in your city about what's going on? Uh, and you're talking in respect to COVID, correct? I just say yes, in, in regard, yes. Sure. Um, you know, I think the general sense is, uh, you know, it, it, like, you know, we used to call it the, the new normal, right? I think it's now just kind of spun to normal. Um, you know, and if there's new wrinkles added in, uh, you know, like I said, like, hey, I can go to a restaurant and, you know, I can sit and be comfortable, you know, then I feel safe in that environment, like something like that being added in, it's like, it's great, right? It's like kind of a, a little bonus, right? It's something that little pleasures in life that we've forgotten about. Uh, that's kind of how I view it. But in terms, I guess, like in the whole, the pulse of the city, I mean, I, don't, I mean, it's not like I, I don't want to speak for obviously <laughs> the entire city, yeah. but I would, I would imagine it's probably pretty similar. Um, in that, like, you know, we've kind of all really adjusted to how our life is currently. And, you know, anything else that we're going to get added into it is obviously a bonus and it's obviously going to, you know, take some trial and error. Um, I would say overall, I think a lot of people are still patient. Um, I don't think people have lost their patience with things. Um, I think, you know, for the most part, it seems to me that a lot of people have abided by, you know, their social distancing. There is a lot of buy-in. Um, and I think as a community, we've probably done about as good a job as we could. Not to say we couldn't do better, but I think we've done uh, as good as we could. You know, you think about everything that Seattle has been through these past few months, and then you listen to a guy like Robert, who's just a positive guy. And I loved it when he said, just bring joy to your life. And he's yeah. figuring out how to do it with all the stresses up there. So if he can do it, certainly we can do it. All right, let's talk to our next caller, Craig from Baltimore. Craig. Yes, sir. John Taffer here. How are you, John? I'm doing good. I didn't surprise you at all. No, I, I was expecting it to be Corey, but even uh, even glad that you uh, you gave me a call. Thank you so much for having me on. Oh, my pleasure. Actually, Corey's a lazy fuck, so I had to do this call myself. Yeah, hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm here. I'm, I'm listening. <laughs> so, so, and I thought it's fun. Sometimes it's fun to make the call myself. How are things in Baltimore, Craig? Are you guys starting to feel uh, like you're starting to come out of it there a little bit? I, somewhat, somewhat. I'm uh, I'm gonna be venturing out to. Uh, we have a nice little place called High Tops. Um, they do a lot of like they used to do a lot of big Ravens events in the summer, like with training camp, bringing players out, different like fundraisers there. So I'm actually heading out there tomorrow. They've got a nice patio area. 
cool. out back. Um, cool. So excited back out there. But no, starting to open up. Um, we went into phase two. Like I think today, gyms, yep. malls opened up. Um, things, things of that effect. Have you been out at bars at all the past couple of weeks or restaurants? I have not. No, the closest thing I've gotten is uh, is pickup from Chipotle, but that is uh, that is it, sadly. Gotcha. When you're driving around town, are are, are you seeing crowds in front of any restaurants? Are you seeing? Uh, can you give us any kind of reading? Um, I wouldn't say crowds. A lot of a lot of the restaurants have started accommodating like with outdoor seating in the parking lots. Yep. Um, I would say not not big crowds, but people are starting to feel more comfortable going out but it's, it's obviously um it's younger people uh for the most part um but i i not to mention i i haven't i still have seen some older folks um going out but primarily smaller smaller crowds and generally younger people you know it's interesting i'm going to put a feather in my cap four months ago we made a prediction here and i did it on all the news channels too that a third of the population a younger third would come out first and then the second third would be a reserved third. They'd come out a few weeks later after they sort of saw that things were going okay. And then the third third would be the certain third that wouldn't come out until they knew <laughs> that there was a vaccine or a treatment that they were completely safe. So right. uh, we're seeing in every city and across America that, that what we actually talked about on this show four months ago and me on the news channels, in fact, came to fruition. The hard number is 31% of the population came out, but it's the youngest crowd that's coming out first. So, you know, they're more interested in cheaper prices, you know, and, and food promotions and beverage promotions. And I think we're going to start to see the crowd get older every few weeks, right, as, as it gets more and more normalized. So what do you want to talk about? You want to talk about events? Yeah, that was, that was the big thing that really stood out to me. You know, neither of us are, are really scientists here, I'm guessing, unless you have a science degree that I don't know about that you've never talked about on the show. Nope. Um, so no, really wanted to just get your thoughts as far as, you know, I'm, I'm a younger guy, I'm, I'm 22, so I usually gravitate towards the, the bars, uh, the events where it's generally larger crowds. Sure, um, you want the energy. Absolutely, absolutely. I, you know, it's, I want to be around other people. It's just, yeah. I don't want to go around and hang out somewhere where it's, it's empty, there's no one there. Yeah. So really wanted to ask, you know, just from the conversations you've had, um, bar industry, restaurant industry, medical industry, when do you see it getting to a point where it's it's crowded that size again? You know, it's interesting. Uh, uh, being completely non-political here, Craig. You know, you look at the rally that's being held this weekend with what thirty thousand people, or whatever the number is, within that arena, and they're being given masks on the way in, but wearing them is optional. So I just find it difficult how our society can be so hypocritical at this point. If we're going to allow thirty thousand people to pie into a building for a political rally then why don't you just open up a bar and call it a political rally tonight and you can pack your bar too and have somebody stand up and say, go team, go, vote Republican, go team, go, vote Democrat. Whammo, it's a political rally. Now you can pack your bar too. It makes no sense. So, you know, what? my point is, Craig, as the government and, and our president and these other organizations start to have congregation and large groups of people, it becomes more and more difficult for them to justify our industry not having that. So I think it has to go in that direction at some point, and, and I'm just concerned that the surge numbers are going to prevent that because I think we were going that way. But uh, if we don't, there's going to be a lot more revenue loss, and of course we're going to lose a lot more bars uh, if they don't go in that direction. How, Being honest with you, and I'm not a scientist, Craig, but I am on a, a board of a hospital, so I do get a, a good amount of medical information. I don't see a lot happening in that regard till fall, unfortunately. 
And even the NFL now, who's looking at having fans here in the Raider Stadium in Vegas, are looking at having fans now. There's huge pushback uh, against the NFL. So I just don't see us moving in that direction till at least fall. I don't like saying it either, Craig. <laughs> no, I, I hear where you're coming from. Absolutely. And that was, if I had to just my moderately kind of sort of not really uneducated opinion was that's what I was thinking as well. Um, and that actually kind of led me into that, the next question of safe regarding the NFL and, and the work that you've done with them in the past. Um, do you think that's something that's feasible? I mean, obviously there's going to be pushback from, from both sides, people who want no fans, people don't even want the games to happen. And then people who want to just pack the stadiums completely in, in, in your opinion, where do you see it most realistically at this point, given the, given the, the facts and the numbers, what do you see, you know, kickoff for, for the NFL looking like? Well, you know, I think that some of this is legal. Let me explain what I mean. If you and I and Corey, we all go to a football game and we, we contract COVID at that football game and we can prove it, is the stadium operator liable or is the team liable for our illness? Now, I understand at, at, at the political rally that there's some type of a waiver of document being signed that's saying you're coming a, 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 at your own risk. So... I think the lawyers have to deal with what is responsible behavior and what is negligent behavior. If I pack the stadium and they put everybody in less than six feet distance, I'm probably could be found negligent in court. You with me, Craig? So now I'm liable because I wasn't responsible and my irresponsible actions or neglect caused people to get sick. On the other hand, let's say I fill every third seat. So everybody is six feet apart. And let's say I put lines at every concession stand and I put people out in the lobby areas and I got them all six feet apart. And you, Corey, and I still get COVID and we can still prove that we got it there because we've been quarantined since we left there and before there, whatever the case it is. Is that operator still liable? Now, they weren't negligent because they imposed spacing and they did this and they did that. So I think there needs to be some legal definition. And that scares me terribly because in New York State, what happened is is the governor there released hospitals from liability during COVID. And as an end result, when the hospitals weren't liable, they started mixing COVID and non-COVID patients and things got a little out of control. So what is the liability for the stadium of the team if they open it up? How do they open it up to manage that liability? And unfortunately, so much about this is about the lawyers, Craig, and how they land on all these liability issues and such. I'm guessing that uh, uh, football is probably going to start, and I'm going to guess, I'm going to put my neck out here, and I'm going to guess it's probably going to start without fans. There's also other logistical issues that we've looked at, for example, even here uh, with night with my hockey tickets, is if they spread the stadium and do every third seat or so, who gets to go, Craig? <laughs> do you get to use your right. tickets? Do I not get to use mine? I mean, what happens? Who goes and who doesn't? Because obviously two-thirds of the arena is not going to get to go to the game. So is there a lottery system? Do I now get to go to every third game because I'm sitting in every third seat? Uh, uh, there's so many uh, logistical and legal issues to this. Unfortunately, it's 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 probably the lawyers who are going to make the decision in the end, Craig, unfortunately. I, I think that, that makes total sense, and I hate to drop the ball on you as well, John, that I actually grew up a big Capitals fan. So, uh, that. That's okay. That. <laughs> you guys had a great Stanley Cup. You deserve to win. It's just the, the, that uh, uh, that five-minute penalty, I still cry about that when I think about that. But that's a conversation for another day, Craig, okay? <laughs> you're right. You're right. No, no. The last, last question I, I really had for you, John, was um, you know, I'm still relatively young in, in my career. I'm only 22, a year out of college. And, um, you know, everywhere I've kind of gone as far as school and, and sports and, and business, 
the biggest thing that I think has just really helped me and, and really kind of gotten me to where I'm, I'm at so far is just no matter what the situation is, going into it as, as prepared as possible and having that level of preparation to where I feel confident going into the situation, whether it's, you know, I'm, I'm a recruiter. I, I recruit software engineers mm-hmm. in, in the area, mostly for a lot of our clients or in the DOD. Um, just going into every call with a manager or a potential candidate before an interview, just having the most positive outlook I can, just, just never never really feeling any sort of doubt and, and kind of passing that same energy off to the candidate that I'm representing. In your, you know, in your experience, how important do you think something like that is or what's the, what are your thoughts on just having a sense of, of confidence and optimism and, and overall just positive energy in, in any sort of business situation? Well, it's everything. And first of all, I'm not going to write a check to somebody I'm not, I'm not confident in. If you're not confident in yourself, you're certainly not going to get at my money. So it's, it's not only confidence allows you to, to behave in a confident fashion, but it, it isn't just the confidence that you possess within you. It's the confidence that you project that's so important. And confidence hits home and can get somebody hired in two ways. And you'll smile when I tell you this, Craig. You know, you're young. When I was your age and I interviewed, it was mostly bullshit. Because I didn't have any real substance. I was too young. I didn't have 20 years experience to talk about. So, you know, when you're young, you get into an interview, you bullshit a little bit, and you say all these things, blah, 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 and you try to get hired. When you start to turn 35, 40 years old, suddenly the interview isn't bullshit anymore. It's real because you have the 10 or 15 years experience under your belt. So every year it is less BS and more reality. If you were sitting across from me and I said, you know, the guy's young, he's inexperienced, he really doesn't know what the hell he's talking about, but... He's really confident. He believes he can do this. Confidence will get you over the hump of inexperience. Does that make sense? Because I would say, wow, this guy really believes in himself. He's really confident. I bet he'll train well. So I would hire confidence over experience in some cases. Let's reverse it and say that you're incredibly experienced. Well, you're experienced and you're confident. Well, this guy's really confident about working here. He's confident about himself. and he's Either way, confidence takes the ball home. And so I think you're exactly right. And I've always said in my first book, uh, Raised a Bar, was all about the premise of reaction management. And I own that term, reaction management. I don't know if you know that, Craig. And my first book, as I, I said, did. was all about it. Reaction management is exactly what you're talking about, projecting confidence so the person around you reacts to that confidence and moves forward because of it. You're right on the money, buddy. Thank you, sir. Thank you so much. And then that also just kind of goes into you know, the other employees who might be a little more technically sound, but might not have that same sort of, uh, I don't know if it's attitude, but it's, it's, it's infectious almost. Yeah. You know, you get someone on the team who just has that level of, of energy and, and brings out the best in other people that can, you know, just cause that reaction where it's someone is, is unbelievably optimistic and, and you enjoy having them on the team every day. That's just going to raise the whole level of the rest of the team. Exactly right. When I was a young punk, I had one thing, confidence. And it got me over the hump because I really believed in myself. Anyway, buddy, it sounds like you believe in yourself. Take care, Craig. It was fun to talk. Thanks, John. I appreciate it. Stay safe, buddy. Well, see, Craig's that first third, Corey. He's in that 31%. Yeah. He wants to go out. He wants to freaking party. And and he doesn't care about distancing. He doesn't care about masks. He just wants to go out and have a good time. I get it. You know, if I was 21 and I was in that mode or I was your age, Corey, I would do it too. Yeah. But, you know, we all have a different reaction to this. We're all in sort of a different place. And unfortunately, the ones that that are are at the most risk are probably the ones that are going to control the decisions that are made because they're at risk. So, Greg was in Baltimore. Let's Let's take a little trip south, Corey. Let's go to Florida and talk to Lindsay.
Hi, this is Lindsay. Lindsay, John Taffer here. Hi, John Taffer. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you for calling me. I am like a John Taffer super fan, and oh. you want to know like how I can credential myself as that? I've read both your books. Yeah. I've watched um, Marriage Rescue, and I'm almost completely done with every episode of Bar Rescue. You have a lot, lot of Bar Rescue out there. <laughs> wow, we do. I think 180-something have aired, and I've made yeah. 196. Ah, oh, that's sweet, Lindsay. Thank you. Where are you in Florida? You're welcome. Melbourne, Florida. Sure. I know the Which area very, very well. Brevard County, you rescued Long Duck Inn, I think, a while ago. And um, that's in Merritt Island at the Space yep. Center. Yep. Yeah. So I'm in Melbourne. I'm in the same county. I'm just, you know, maybe 30 miles from there. Ah, uh, well, you do know your bar rescue. So, yes. Okay. So you called and you were looking for some advice on a side hustle. I wouldn't use that word, I would say a side business. Okay. But mm -hmm. a side business of divorce coaching. Now, I understand what marriage coaching and marriage uh, 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 counseling would be. What is divorce coaching? Is that how to get divorced and handle it? How to do it right? Or, or explain that to well, me. Well, so here's here's what I'm thinking. So it's kind of like three segments. Okay. So the and and they're all sort of can be mutually exclusive of the other, right? So, like the first would be, you know, couples maybe that are considering divorce that are, you know, there. So it's not like marriage therapy, but it's more like divorce coaching to make sure they understand. I think the process and the ramifications and. And How Lindsay, let me jump in real quick. I forgot yeah. to tell John that you're an actual divorce attorney. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. Ah, okay. Correct. Ah, now this You may not want to take the call now. <laughs> no, no. Because no <laughs> when you were saying about the ramifications, I was thinking to myself, well, so much of this is legal and liability and asset-based. Oh, right. So, so, okay. Exactly. Now I get it because you're, you're a divorce attorney. So go ahead, please. Right, right. And then... So this, this other sort of part that I, I would really love to do, which is um, sort of the emotional support for litigants going through divorce. So here's what I've noticed. Number one, um, a lot of divorce litigants don't feel comfortable talking to their lawyers about sort of the soft stuff. Basically, their feelings, how they feel, how they're perceiving things, you know, their anxieties, what they're worried about. They don't really like talking about it. And so they talk about that with their friends and family who may all love them and, and want the best for them, but may not give them the best advice. Right. And then mm -hmm. therapy has kind of a negative connotation. You know, they may not want their spouse to know that they're in therapy or if it ever comes up, it has maybe a stigma to yep. it. So what divorce coaching would be is the ability to talk with these folks you know, kind of one-on-one -on -one and talk them through the litigation process. You know, I think it's, I think it's, it's a great idea, actually. And I think a, a, a divorce attorney who has the personality like you seem to have would be perfect for it. So think about it. So if I was going to get divorced, and I'm not, I'm a very happily married guy, then in theory, would I come with my wife and sit with you? And would you talk us through everything so that we understood it? I guess if they wanted to come together, that first meeting you would have with them. Now, you, as a lawyer, you'd have to represent one or the other, of course. But do you envision talking to both or just one? I would prefer it to just talk with one of them because, okay. so like, you're when, an advocate. When it comes to the couple, so you're an yeah, advocate for that side. Like, yeah, I wouldn't want to feel like I was breaching anybody's confidences and so forth. And I'm not okay. representing them in court. I mean, like, I have this right now where she's got her own lawyer, and I defer, you know, to talk to him about it. 
but he doesn't have that personality where she can call and go, I'm super nervous about this hearing that we have coming up tomorrow. And I can sit and I can sort of talk her through it and calm her down and get her focused. But like the attorney won't do that. Does that make sense? It so does. You know, I have a friend, I, mean. I have a friend yeah. who uh, has a, a divorce practice on Long Island up in New York. I've known him a long, long time. And he is, he only takes uh, men, husbands, fathers. He is yep. an advocate for them in child custody cases, and he provides uh, counseling services to them as well. And it's interesting. Excellent. He doesn't do it as divorce counseling. He does it as more a, a, of a, um, a, a, you know, managing children, managing crises, school, all that type of stuff and works. It's interesting. I don't think he calls it that, but, but he has a, a degree in counseling, a social work degree, not a psychology social work degree. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting, but I know this, I know that he's booked all the time. And it's interesting. I wonder, uh, is there a percentage of your practice that's more win women than men? You know, we are about equal. We're, we're fairly down the middle. You know, I mean, there may be some times when we're more women-centered, times when we're more male-centered. Um, and I like representing both, but I tend to... And I can't even say that women are the ones because men, I think, struggle through it just as much. And because I sure. am very approachable, you know, I, I have two older brothers growing up, so there's nothing that they can't tell me that I haven't hurt. And, you know, I mean, I'm very open. I'm not, you know. So what's nice is, is that they do relay a lot. But what I wanted to do with this was to be able to turn it into something where I could get clients, you know, nationwide and I could maybe have like a video conference experience with them and, and kind of walk them through. And then the third component is this, because this is like something that I'm actually really passionate about is co-parenting counseling. Right. So that would be like, even post judgment are parents that are trying to, you know, they're redefining their relationship with each other and co-parenting because a lot of what I do is honestly common sense stuff that people don't think to do because they're see, too. I would, yeah. I'm with you till you got there because you're not a child psychologist and you're not Correct. trained in the impact upon children. So I'm Correct. with you on, on step one. I'm with you on step two. I'm not buying into step three. Unless you had some type of training, because co-parenting is about the child as much as, if not more, than the parents. So, what is the Correct. psychological impact of the way each parent is treating their child and how they're speaking about each other to their child? You know, I think that steps out of your wheelhouse a little bit from mm -hmm. a, from a okay. credential standpoint. I appreciate that. Yeah. yeah, but but you know, but the other two, I think, is a really powerful idea. I think you should do it. I think you could provide a great service to people, and I think it would work online. I do. Excellent. Excellent. Anyway, well, thank you sense. for being such a big fan. You obviously have a very dynamic practice. And if I was in trouble, I would go to you. So so whoever's okay. listening should. So you want to give I, you, I you want to tell us your, your website of your practice in case anybody needs a little help? Absolutely. So it's Sharp, S-H-A-R-P. And my partner's name is Di, D-Y-E. So it's sharpdylaw.com, D-Y-E, sharpdylaw.com. Great. Well, happy to support you, Lindsay. Take care. Keep watching, okay? Oh, thank you. You know, it's interesting talking with Lindsay, and, and I forget the statistic. When I was doing Marriage Rescue, I would look at all these statistics. I think it's like a really high number, like 21% of couples who get divorced get remarried. Oh, really? 
It's a surprisingly oh. big number. Don't hold me to the 21%, everybody, but yeah. it's a pretty I big freaking number. I can was, see it, yeah, being around that. It's almost like they get divorced, and, and a week or two later, they say, you know, what the fuck did I do? <laughs> you know, I'm lonely, my house is a mess, or I have no money, or I this, or I that, and, and suddenly, what they thought was terrible doesn't look so bad anymore. Sort of like this podcast. Yeah. I thought it was terrible. It doesn't look so bad anymore. Yeah. <laughs> well, guys, that does it for this week. I'm John Taffer. Thanks for listening in. You know what? It's getting better. July 4th is coming. It's a holiday weekend. Let's all have a good holiday. Let's try to put this divisiveness and all this bullshit that we're dealing with. Not that it's bullshit. I don't mean it, but it is at moments. Let's put this all into a go forward modem. It's time to stop protesting and start acting. Subscribe to the John Tapper podcast right now for more episodes every Thursday.